You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. I think that uh, control is something that really resonates with us as, as humans. Control is a relative concept. We all have some degree of control. Don't we? Everyone has their own little corner of the world that they control. There's the phrase, uh, you know, a man's, a man's home is his castle, and he's the king of his castle. Um, I guess that's true. I'm maybe the only king who actually does the mowing and the weed eating around the moat. You know, like, that's me and my castle. But, you know, there's that idea that it's, it's my space. That's why when you were a kid, your mom wrote your name and your initials on everything you owned because that was yours. It was yours. You had control. Do not lose any more pencils at school. This is yours. You can control this. We have controls of various parts of our life, but the truth is control. Control is kind of an illusion. It really is. Because there's some things in life that we can control, but you only have to watch the news for five minutes and hear words like politics and election, economy, war, terrorism, ISIS. These are the words we hear and we realize, I really don't have that much control. I can't do anything about that. So control is a little bit fleeting. So what do we do with the rest? What do we do with the tension area between what we do control and what we can't control? How do we manage that? How do do you manage that? Maybe I'm talking to you. Maybe there's areas of your life where you feel like it's just spinning out of control. There were some things that you thought you had handled but now it seems so distant. Like, I don't even know what, how I got out of the way. And, and, and things start to spin. This movie, Gravity, uh, is, is, is a great movie. Uh, if you've seen it, um, man, you're, you're going to really get what I'm talking about this morning. Even if you haven't, I'm not going to spoil the movie. I'm going to talk about it a little bit. But what you even see in this trailer we just watched was someone who had lost control. What do you do? What are you doing? You're spinning wildly. And I think that's the way we feel sometimes about some parts of our life. I've lost control. How do I grab onto something when I don't even know which way is up? I've lost control. This is a problem that has left us wondering for generations. And if you look back through history and look at the earliest written collections of history, and what you see is stories of, of war and politics and rise and power. What is it the story of? Control. All of humanity is this story of shifting control and allegiance and each one of us realizing that we can keep this corner of our world under control to some degree but there's other things that we can't manage and there's a tension there what do I do maybe for you it's something specific there's something specific happening in your life and I'm not gonna go through a list of them like I sometimes do but think about what's happening in your life that you're this job this marriage this thing this finances what's what's happening have a lost control of it. We're in week two of this teaching series. I want a movie life. And the goal is to look at some life principles from the silver screen. There's some really good things happening in our culture, art and, and politics and culture and these things that come up. And I think as a church, we've got we to gotta use those as opportunities to think. And so we've gone through some of the biggest uh, movies of the past 12 months, and one of them is the movie Gravity. And um, I just recently watched it. I thought it was pretty good. I, I liked the idea. I thought the, the actual cinematography was amazing because several times I was convinced that they actually filmed it on location in outer space. I'm like, wow, 
how did they get the crew up there? That's amazing. And who did snacks? Was it those little juice boxes? Like, what did they do? It was a really well-made movie. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit in case you haven't seen it. Again, I'm not going to spoil it for you. You can still go check it out. It's in Redbox right now. The main character is Dr. Ryan Stone. That's who you saw, played by Sandra Bullock. Uh, incidentally, uh, one of my favorite movies by Sandra Bullock is the one, Speed, where she gets stuck in the bus. And, like, you've seen that movie, and if the bus goes under 50 miles an hour, like, everybody blows up. And then now she's, like, flying through our space, and her spaceship breaks. I'm thinking, Sandra Bullock, you need to start walking. Like, stop, stop with the transit system. Just... Stay out, I don't know, maybe that's, just, maybe that's just her thing. But the thing about her, uh, Dr. Ryan Stone, she's a brilliant scientist, and she finds herself working for NASA. Um, but as we learn a little bit about her story, uh, it even some of it happened in the trailer here, we learn that there are areas of her life that have just gone bonkers. It seems like everything's gone, everything's gone wrong. It seems like she's completely lost control. She tries to drown it all out with her work. She talks about how she likes to just get in her car and drive for hours on end and just kind of listen to music and, and try to drown out the noise. There's one specific instance that happens. Her four-year-old daughter has, is tragically killed in this, this freak accident on a playground. And, and you know, when that kind of thing happens, man, you, you kind of lose it. It kind of messes you up. You feel powerless. You feel like maybe life's, life has lost some meaning. And that's where we find Dr. Ryan Stone. When we meet her, though, it seems like things are going pretty well. I mean, she's working for NASA. She's doing a repair on the Hubble telescope. Who does that? That's a pretty, pretty big deal. And uh, she's, she's uh, traveling companions with Lieutenant Matt Kowalski, played by the dreamy George Clooney. And I'm thinking, like, life can't be that bad if you're a single lady stuck in outer space with George Clooney. It's not that bad. Ladies are like, sign me up for the next mission. Like, I'm going. So that's where things are. But things quickly escalate. As the movie gets going, we find that Dr. Stone and Lieutenant Kowalski are in the middle of this tragedy. What you saw there was a, a Russian uh, missile had shot down a defunct satellite. They were just trying to, I guess, clear the airspace or something. But in the explosion, uh, the debris from the satellite began to hurtle around the Earth with the orbit of the Earth. And it begins to hit other satellites and other things floating in outer space. And it begins to snowball. And it's flying faster than a speeding bullet. And it's coming around the Earth's orbit. And these astronauts are directly in the path of all that debris. And it comes around every 90 seconds. And so that's the movie. That's the new movie is them, you know, dodging this stuff every night. That's, I didn't give anything away. That's, the, that's what you just saw. You see the idea that they're just trying to get out of this. And, and what you saw there was that everything is going wrong. Did I mention nothing seems to be working out for Dr. Stone? And then after the debris hits, what you just saw, she gets disconnected. Disconnected. And she begins to fly through space. I told you, it just wasn't her day. <laughs> out of control. But like a space cowboy, uh, the dreamy George Clooney, he's got a jetpack on. He comes in and saves her. And, and, and there's this whole big uh, thing that plays out after that. That's just the big opening scene. It's amazing. I, I will tell you one other little piece of, of the movie uh, that, that doesn't give anything away. There's a point at which they get separated, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock, okay? And, and you find her all alone. And she's in this moment where she's like, everything is broken. I'm out here in outer space. Oh, by the way, because of the satellites, it's torn down communication with Houston down on Earth. So she doesn't have radio contact. All alone, out of control. And she just begins to question, like, what's the purpose? What's the point? What do I do? Um, I think that maybe you've never been stuck in outer space. Maybe a few of you have. I doubt it, though. Uh, but we all get this moment in our life. We just kind of feel like, what do I do? Everything's spinning out of control. I feel upside down. I don't know what to hold on to. I feel alone. There's no control. 
So at Venture Church, we have this phrase I love that we, we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And uh, so we're going to be there this morning. I want to take a look at a story that is, uh, is in many ways not unlike the story from Gravity and not unlike your life and in many ways quite different. We're going to be talking about a guy named Solomon. You heard of Solomon? I'll give you a little bit of background. Solomon had a dad that you may have heard of. His name was David. Solomon's dad was David. He was the king of Israel. Very, very powerful, very, very influential man. And he was a good king. He brought Israel to its greatest point up, up until, you know, his lifetime. And that's where David had left it. Uh, David had some mistakes in his life. As you read through his story, you find some things that he did that were downright wrong. But by the end of his life, the Bible remembers him as a man after God's own heart which is a pretty good accolade to, to go down with. You know, I, I didn't do things perfectly, but I did my best and I was seeking God's heart. That was David. David built the kingdom of Israel to a point where they were at peace, where they had financial prosperity, and where they really didn't have any enemies coming at them right now. Enter his son, Samuel, okay? Uh, Samuel, Solomon, Samuel's a different guy. Solomon, enter his son, Solomon. Solomon inherits it all. And Solomon's got it made in shade. When, when, when Solomon comes to power, Israel's at its highest point, and Solomon does nothing but raise its power. Let me tell you a little bit about Solomon. Uh, we're going to get into uh, some Bible verses in a second, but let me just kind of introduce you to our, to our author. His name is Solomon. Solomon had it made. He was rich. He was rich. When you look at the Bible, it says his annual income was 666 talents, which you're like, is that a lot? Oh, yeah, let me tell you how much that is. 25 tons of gold every year. Can you imagine that? Was it like 15 VW Beetles, solid gold? That's like, that's what he gets every year in gold. And that's just the gold that's coming in from his resources. He gets, as the king, there's, there's taxes and there's tariffs and there's tolls. He also is uh, the reigner, the, he reigns over a dominion of several other nations that his father had conquered. And so they're still paying tribute to him. He's very, very wealthy. The throne that he sits on is made out of ivory and covered in gold and flanked by two lions. I just want a nice recliner that I can take a nap in. Is that, you know, this guy is sitting on a solid gold throne of ivory. If that gives you any image of the amount of, uh, of, of, of having it made <laughs> that Solomon had going on, wealth. But it wasn't just his wealth. Solomon also had unimaginable power. He, he was one of the, uh, the, the biggest rulers alive uh, in terms of the power of Israel. Uh, and, and largely because of this, they were in a time of peace and so when Solomon comes to power, leadership is really hard. It really is. I'm, I'm a leader. I lead in several different areas of my life. Many of you lead at work. Leadership is hard. If you're a parent, you're a leader. Leadership in a time of peace is very hard. But look at some of the most recent leaders we've had. You look at George W. Bush. You look at Barack Obama. I don't care what you think about them politically. When you're a leader during a time of war, it's not easy. There are no easy decisions. No one can be happy with what you do. Yet Solomon walks in. Ah, oh, time of peace. Not only that, but the nations that his father had conquered were peaceful with him. A lot of times what you'll see during uh, some sort of an empirical shift of power, when a new emperor comes into play, a new king comes into play, the conquered people rebel. They say, no, 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 we got the new king. The old guy, like he conquered us and he proved his, but we're going to fight against the new guy. This didn't happen with Solomon. It didn't happen because the peace was so good. The economy was so good. They were like, hey, we're conquered. I'm good with that. <laughs> I'm cool, so they paid tribute to Solomon. So he had all of this, this power. He's got wealth, he's got power. The third thing that you can know about Solomon um, is, is this. It was something that you couldn't buy. Solomon was extremely wise. In fact, he's known as the wisest man to have ever lived. It's, that's an accolade given to Solomon. 
I believe it was a gift of God. Solomon had this unimaginable wisdom, so much so that kings and queens from other kingdoms would come and they would, have, they would take up court with Solomon and ask him to help solve some of their problems. It's pretty impressive. And the way that he dealt with local issues was so creative that other leaders, they imitated the way that he led. Solomon had this wisdom that was unsurpassed. And with wisdom, man, you can be a great leader. You can be a powerful person. So he had wealth, he had power, he had wisdom. And so if you take his character profile and you put it up against Dr. Stone from the movie Gravity, nothing's going right, I've got a child that's passed away, I'm hurtling through outer space. Compared to Solomon, who's got it made, you think, Their lives are not similar at all. But something happens in Solomon's life that I think we've all seen play out in front of our eyes. You ever seen a celebrity who had it all just lose it? They lose control. They start going crazy, making terrible decisions. This is what happens to Solomon. He's got it all. There's no reason that he should even question or move forward, but he he just starts doing crazy things. He starts going against the very laws of his people. He starts doing immoral things. And his life begins to snowball. Man, control is lost. And that's where we find Solomon when we pick him up this morning. The thing about Solomon uh, that I love, uh, one thing Aaron mentioned this morning, that you know, we, we try to be church for people who don't like church. And, and one thing that, that, that I love about our community is that there are people among us, uh, and you might be one of them who is, I'm not a Christian, I'm not even sure I believe in God, but I like the way that we work as community. And um, so you'll really like Solomon if that's where you are in life right now, because Solomon was someone who said, you know what, I'm kind of questioning life right now. I'm trying to find the purpose of life. So what I'm going to do is systematically go through all the options and be really honest about it and write a few books. That's what Solomon did. So maybe you're right now looking for some answers. You're looking for some control. You're trying to find God. There are a couple of books that Solomon wrote. One of them is now known as the book of Proverbs. We find it right almost near the very middle of the Bible in the Old Testament. Proverbs is a very good collection of just wise sayings that you can live by. The book we're going to be looking at today is called Ecclesiastes. See, what Solomon did was he said, I am losing control. I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what God or life is all about. I'm going to do some research. I've got inexhaustible wealth, inexhaustible resources, inexhaustible power and influence, and I'm going to put it to the test. I'm going to sample everything. And so he does. And he keeps his findings in the book that we call Ecclesiastes. So we're going to kind of skip through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're in a quest for some truth and some some answers about life, crack the Bible, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's great. Google it. Ecclesiastes. Read it. It's it's really a good book. Um, But we're not going to read the whole thing. It's fairly long. I just want to read you like, I'm going to kind of kind of uh, leapfrog around through the book so we can follow the train of thought. So the scripture's gonna be right on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible, we got free ones that we give away. So you can grab one at the back as you leave. There might be one under your chair right here. You can look it up on your phone too. Um, but it'll also be on the screen behind me. We'll be in Ecclesiastes starting very, uh, very beginning, chapter one, uh, verse 12 through 14. This is what we have to start with. This is what he says to start off with. I applied my mind to, the, to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Meaningless. Meaningless. That's a strong word. But Solomon's a wise man. Let's see how how he fell into this decision. We're going to read now. Skip ahead. Uh, This is Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 6. 
So he said, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves and florists to trees. He talks about his journey, about how he builds this empire around himself of beauty and prosperity. And then he continues to explain his journey in verse 10. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Paul's, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. We all know that's probably a bad idea. But he said, you know what? I'm going for it. He did. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So he tried building and he tried buying. And though he does mention that this brought him some temporary gladness, he says, you know, this was the reward for my toil. He says, it was meaningless. And so he turns his mind to something else. He turns his mind to what he's best at, wisdom and knowledge. And he starts to do research. Uh, he, he, he just spends several paragraphs talking about his quest for wisdom and knowledge. And at the end of that whole discussion, he comes to another conclusion. He once again admits that there, there is some temporary joy to finding answers to hard questions. There is some temporary joy to finding that you're smarter than everybody else. There is some joy in that. Yet, let's check out what he says uh, in verse 10 through 11. Actually, I think I had the wrong verse on there, so I apologize. This is not correct, but it is in chapter two. It says, for the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. You can be wise, you can be smart. You won't be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise must die. So, you know, you can know everything, but you can't take it with you. You just can't. And so then he says in verse 17, he says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they'll have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun, this too is meaningless. This is a profile of a sad man. <laughs> you might be sitting here, wow, this guy needs counseling. Um, he's really, and, and maybe, maybe he does. That's probably true. But the reality is he hits a point there that's deep. I mean, we, we realize that we can work and work and work and work, but even us parents, I've got two kids. My wife and I were talking about it last night. We want them to grow up, we want them to be good, but... They still get to make their own decisions. Whether they're wise, whether they're a fool, that's ultimately up to them. So at this point in his life, Solomon says, so it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Don't worry. It gets happier. But it gets a little bit deeper. You know, he begins to talk about some things that he observes about life. He, he talks about that there are a million things that we can do with our life. He says everything has a season. There's a time to live. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant seeds. There's a time to harvest seeds. And he's got this long list. There's a million things you can do with your life. But none of it lasts forever. There is some temporary value in enjoying, in enjoying some of it. There really is. But at the end, even when we find joy, even when you end up with your 2.5 kids and the picket house around your fence and everything that you want and the boat in the yard and everything that you were dreaming for, e even when things are content, this is what he observes. There's still madness in other places in the world. And I can't stop it. There's still dishonest people. There's still evil people who have influence. And over and over, he finds glimpses of hope in this world. And then he comes back and says, ah, but, but even that's meaningless. There are so many great calls that we can pull our, pour ourselves into. 
We can, we can, we can pour ourselves into a thousand different things and we can put a ribbon on the back of our car and say, I support that. And just so you know, I'm all for that. I think that God's for that. I think that's good for us. There are some of the things that, that Solomon talk, talks about that I think that we pour ourselves into a lot. For me, you say, what's life about? I might would say, one of the biggest things about life is family. You with me? Family. Family's awesome. Fa- family, if, if you can have a happy family, then you can have a happy corner of your world. But, you know, when we look at Solomon's life, Solomon has it all. And he ended up coming to some pretty good conclusions. But his sons, he has these two sons that take over the kingdom after him. Man, they wreck the kingdom. Everything that Solomon built, they tear down. They divide the kingdom in half. They're like, I want to be king. No, I want to be king. There's wars. So even family, even family that we really want to pour ourselves into, Solomon says, it's meaningless. And then we're like, thanks, Solomon. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks for being a judge. This is a buzzkill. Thanks for making everything boring and sad. But the, there is a point to this. There is a point to this. And I, I want to use the movie Gravity to kind of talk about what happens. There's a point in the movie Gravity, uh, George Clooney, Sandra Bullock, they get separated. But we find this point where Sandra Bullock is all alone, and she's in this escape pod, and she has run out of options. Everything she has tried seems to not be working, and she just kind of decides she's ready to give up. So she just decides to fall asleep. And then like a space cowboy, George Clooney's showing up in her dreams, which I know a lot of people probably could say. And George Clooney pulls up in this dream, and we see this scene. Let's just check it out. All right. Let's get out of here. Uh, the Chinese station's about 100 miles. Just a little Sunday drive. We can't. Sure we can. There's no fuel. I tried everything. Well, there's always something we can do. I tried everything. Did you try the soft landing jets? They're for landing, so... Well, landing is launching. It's the same thing. Didn't you learn about that in training? I never got to land the simulator, I told you. But you know about it. And I crashed it Listen, every time. Listen, you want to go back or do you want to stay here? I get it. It's nice of you. You can just shut down all the systems, turn out all the lights, just close your eyes and tune out everybody. There's nobody up here that can hurt you. It's safe. And what's the point of going on? What's the point of living? Your kid died. It doesn't get any rougher than that. But still, it's a matter of what you do now. If you decide to go, then you gotta just get on with it. Sit back, enjoy the ride. You gotta plant both your feet on the ground and start living life. How did you get here? Hey, Ryan. What? It's time to go home. Do you want to stay here or do you want to go home? 
that moment where he looks at her and just says, listen, you got to decide. I get it. Life seems out of control. It's hard to find meaning in all of this. What do you want to do about it? You, you want to turn the lights off, lay on your bed, just wait for it to go away? Or do you want to try to fix the problem? Do you want to try to move on? It's possible that I'm, I'm talking to a few very specific people in the room this morning. It's possible. It's possible that everyone in here is like, I completely get what you're saying. But here's what, here's what has to be said. It's not meaningless. Life is not meaningless. The fact that things are out of control doesn't mean there's no possible way to find control. But we just have to be looking in the right places and doing things the right way. This is what Solomon discovered. Because in Solomon looking around the world to try to discover meaning, he looked everywhere. He looked in friends, he looked in parties, he looked in science, he looked in answers, he looked in, in women and in sensual pleasures. He looked in fine dining and culture. And after each chapter of his life, he said, well, that was meaningless. That was meaningless. It was a chasing after win. And he looked and he looked and he looked and he looked. But at the end of his journey in chapter 12, the wisest man alive gives us a nugget of hope. This is what we find at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 13 through 14. He says this, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Here it is. Ready? The wisest man in the world is what he says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. After all that, after trying and testing and measuring and searching, this is his conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. That, that maybe God has set parameters within life. That if we can stay within those, life can have meaning. And check this out. We can look for meaning in a lot of other things, and those things cannot have meaning, but that doesn't mean we can't do those things. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is from the book of Hebrews, near the end of it, in chapter 12, uh, verse 2 through 3. And this is where I want to go. If you've lost control, if you feel like life is spinning, if you're looking for meaning, if you're trying to say, what do I do to keep things from spinning around, this is, this is the conclusion of the matter as well. It's the same thing, different words. Hebrews 12 says this, set your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart and decide just to turn everything off and lay down and give up or think that life is meaningless. This is the conclusion of the matter. Set your eyes on Jesus. Listen, God gets us. He made us. Last week we talked about it. he's the potter. Go, go to the potter. Now that wasn't last week. That was something else I said, but it would have been good. You should have heard it. Last week we talked about getting unstuck. He made us. He knows us. This passage says he's the author, the pioneer of our faith. He knows us. You know what he also knows? He knows that we're looking for meaning. We're looking for purpose. 
I don't care if you have been serving Jesus with your life for the past 30 years, or if you're here for church for the very first time today, life gets out of control. Things start spinning, and we forget where to look. And we can grab on. Check this out. Don't live for money. God says, live for me. God says, don't live for education. Live for me. Don't live for success. Live for me. Don't live for pleasure. Live for me. Don't live for your family. Live for me. And I will give your money, your education, your success, your pleasure, even your family. I'll give those things meaning. Let's find control. Set your eyes on Jesus. Make him the center of your gravity. Can I pray for you this morning? God, we love you. We thank you for just a, a different approach to looking at your word this morning, taking a movie. And, um, you know, I, I, see, I see this lady's life, and I see it spinning out of control. But I just, what I see in her life is the lives of so many people that I love who feel like they're spinning out of control. I thank you for Solomon who, even though he had it all, he decided that he needed to seek something, and what he found was you. God, as we have questions, as we have doubts, as we have fears, we lay them in front of you and just say, hey, this is us. This is raw. This is real. But help us find meaning. Help us find purpose. Help us find control by putting it in your hands. We love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.